Good morning, everyone. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 to 25. Yes, I'll just repeat the page numbers again. Uh, In one red Bible, page 814, and the one with the frame on the front with Holy Bible, 1154. This is a fairly difficult passage, so we'll be looking forward to Scott explaining it to us. (laughs) Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified." Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking be adults. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people. 
but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in, while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all. Verse 25, And the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you communicate clearly to us, your people, that uh, you have given us your word uh, in our own language, that we can understand it, that we can come to know who you are and uh, what you've done for us in Jesus. We pray, Father God, that um, as we think through these issues today, we would be thinking through how we can be best um, serving one another and building one another up uh, in the knowledge and the love of yourself. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Parliament of the European Union functions in 27 different languages, uh, which means that uh, at every session of the European Parliament, there is a, there's a whole team of interpreters so that uh, every member of the Parliament, uh, when they speak, uh, they can speak in their own language and every other member of the Parliament with their headsets on can hear what they're saying in their language. Apparently on one occasion, a session of the Parliament um, was just dragging on and it continued so late into the night that the interpreters decided that they were going to pack up and go home. So they did. And guess what happened? The parliament just continued fine because everyone just took their headsets off and started talking to each other in English, which they all understood. True story, I understand. For Australians, um, people like us, uh, it's often only as we travel, particularly travelling abroad, that we realise just how multilingual our world is and uh, how many people in our world speak more than just one language. Uh, often uh, they speak their, uh, their, their own language, but they will often also speak English, uh, which enables people who speak from, have different languages, to actually communicate with one another in a common language. Uh, in the first century, there were a great number of languages and dialects uh, throughout the um, length and the breadth of the Roman Empire. But uh, just like English today, many people spoke Greek um, as their second language. Um, the reason for that is that the conquests earlier on by Alexander the Great uh, and the, uh, the spread of Greek culture in that part of the world 
had meant that uh, Greek language had also spread amongst people. And that is why the New Testament is written entirely in Greek. It's not written in Latin, it's not written in Aramaic, it's not written in Hebrew, it's not written in any other... It's written in Greek, why? Because everyone understood Greek. Whether they're in Ephesus or in Corinth or in Rome or in... um, They all spoke Greek. And uh, people would speak to one another, which meant that people could actually understand one another um, uh, because they could communicate in this common language, even though they didn't necessarily know each other's native language. And so they would speak in Greek in the marketplace, um, in business, and in, and in other uh, communal environments and so on. And this, of course, was especially the case in Corinth, because uh, Corinth is actually in Greece, but Corinth was also a, a melting pot of different um, peoples, different races, Um, different languages from all over the world, or that part of the world. Um, Corinth is a very strategically placed city in terms of it being a strategic seaport. Um, In those days, it's it's like an isthmus and had a seaport on one side and a seaport on the other side as well. Nowadays, there's a canal that um, uh, joins the two. But it was a strategic port city and therefore it attracted... um, shipping and it attracted business uh, from its west, uh, being from Rome and Italy, uh, from the east being um, Palestine and uh, Asia Minor, uh, what we would call today Turkey, Uh, from the south, um, North Africa, um, Egypt and so on. And so uh, it was a, a cosmopolitan hub a very busy um, commercial centre with people from all over that part of the world. Now, churches tend, not always, but they tend to be a reflection of the community in which they are located. And that would mean that the Corinthian church would be a multiracial congregation with Christians who uh, not only spoke Greek but would also speak their local native language or languages. And I think this is a background which helps us to to better understand 1 Corinthians chapter 14, especially in terms of what it means to speak in a tongue or to speak in tongues. Uh, Because this is the problem of church life which Paul Uh, is now addressing. Firstly, let me say something about the word tongue. Um, It's an old English word. Uh, It simply means language. Uh, um, And it's a a word which we rarely use in that form. Uh, We don't always talk about tongues or a tongue although we might talk about someone, someone's mother tongue. I think that's still a phrase which we use in English. Um, here it means another language, uh, or in the plural it means other languages. If you have a look in your NIVs, everyone got your NIVs open? 1 Corinthians 14. Um, if you have a look in your NIVs, you'll note that... Have a look at the footnotes. Uh, 
the footnote um, uh, number A, or letter A, uh, for uh, the word tongue, it says it means or another language in all of those verses. Uh, similarly, uh, in footnote number C, uh, where in the text it says tongues, uh, the NIV says or other languages, and it gives a string of Bible verses there. Uh, the word uh, means the same thing. Uh, tongue means language. Tongues means other languages. Uh, in fact, I think it would communicate better if what they had in the footnote was actually in the text uh, and the word tongue in the footnote, but never mind. I think we get closer to the meaning of the, of the text uh, if we use the words language or languages when we're reading it. And that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, so, firstly, in verses 1 to 5, we see that there is an issue which is affecting the congregation when they meet together. And here, Paul makes a contrast uh, where he contrasts the person in the congregation who speaks in, uh, in a tongue or in, a, in, a, in another language and he contrasts that person with the person who, speak, who, who, who prophesies. So let me read to you verses 1 to 5 and uh, then we'll unpack that a little bit. He says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire um, more accurately spiritual things. Um, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in another language does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their encouragement, uh, for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. He who speaks in another language edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in other languages, but I'd rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in other languages, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. And later on in verses 14 through to 17, we see that uh, what the people who were speaking in other languages were doing and we see that uh, what they were doing in other languages was that they were praying, they were singing and they were thanking God uh, in other languages. Now the question therefore is why would they do that? Um, why would they be speaking in the congregation uh, in languages that other people didn't necessarily understand? I think uh, there's good reasons for it. I think it's, it's actually quite understandable um, why people would want to do that. A number of years ago, uh, a lady from West Timor was part of our congregation here for a short while. Um, she speaks English as a second language, but she speaks English very, very well. And she has a PhD in linguistics. In fact, she left us here to go and teach at um, uh, MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, 
But the Bible in the West Timorese language um, is still in the process of being translated. Uh, One Sunday morning over coffee outside, she told me that she had just that week been given for checking the first translation of Isaiah in her language. And uh, she said that she wept as for the first time ever that she could read those words, that she could read that part of scripture uh, in the language which is so much a part of who she is as a person, the language of her heart. And this is something which is important for us to understand. that When we as Christians relate intimately to God, uh, well, we'd prefer to do it if we're multilingual in, in our heart language. Uh, when we hear God's word or when we pray, uh, I think it's very understandable that someone would, would want to do that uh, in the language in which they think, the language in which they, they dream, the language of their hearts rather than their second language. That's understandable. But what, if, what about in church? What about in church with doing that aloud with others? What if others in the church don't actually understand your language? Now, next week I aim to say something more about prophecy. Uh, but in verses 1 to 5, um, Paul addresses this issue by, as I said, contrasting the person who speaks in a prophecy with the person who speaks in another language. And you may recall that a couple of weeks back in chapter 12, uh, when he lays the foundations for this by talking about what, what is the nature of church, that uh, we saw that church is not just a collection of uh, autonomous individuals, uh, that we are in fact members of a body, that we all belong to each other, we're, we're different parts of the same body working together for the common good, working together for the body as a whole. And this is the difference here in verses 1 to 5, because the person who speaks in another language, well, certainly they are talking to God, there's no question about that, but it is of no benefit to others in the meeting. Because although they are pouring out their spirit, their words are a mystery to everybody else. Nobody can understand them. And so, who therefore is being built up? It's only them. They're only building up themselves. Whereas the person who is prophesying is speaking to the congregation and therefore is not using other languages to do so, using the common language. They're speaking to the congregation so that in verse 3, we're told that they strengthen, they encourage and they comfort not just themselves but the whole church, Uh, which um, uh, incidentally may actually shed some light on what prophecy actually is, but more of that next week. Now, notice that Paul is not against other languages. Far from it. 
Um, in verse 5, he, he says, I would, I would like every one of you to speak in other languages. And in verse 18, he thanks God that he speaks in other languages more than any of, they, uh, of them do. Um, Paul was multilingual. Um, we know from the pages of the New Testament that he at least spoke um, fluent Greek. Um, he spoke Aramaic. He spoke Latin as a... Pharisee, he would have known, a Jewish Pharisee would have known Hebrew and possibly other languages as well. It's remarkable when you meet people that just switch from one language to another language to another language to another language, isn't it? An extraordinary gift. And Paul used this ability to full effect uh, in taking the gospel into the world. And so therefore it makes sense that uh, he would encourage other Christians to speak in other languages uh, so that they would join the mission, so that they would share the gospel with others in the mother tongues of other people. But in the church, they should use the common language. Uh, mind you, Paul um, is not insensitive. Uh, Paul understands the desire to use the heart language in church. And so out of love, um, the type of love that we learnt about last week in uh, chapter 13, he allows for interpretation, um, either by the person themselves who might have prayed to God in their, in their language, actually then just sort of telling people what they've prayed about, um, so interpreting for them. And if they don't quite know how to how to get the words right, we'll pray about that. Uh, or by another person, another person interpreting for them. Uh, I was once uh, doing ministry with some Hong Kong um, Chinese people and uh, we all spoke English together. Um, Hong Kong Chinese speak English better than Aussies do. They're really good at saying it's a British background. Um, but it's not their mother tongue. And so when we prayed together, uh, I remember on one occasion they said to me, look, Scott, um, we're sorry about this, but honestly, when we want to pour out our heart to God, we just, we just like to do it in Cantonese. Um, that's, that's our language. And I said, that's okay. Because one of them sat next to me and translated for me um, their prayers so that I was edified so that I could join in the prayers and so I could say a hearty Amen. Now in verses 6 to 12, um, Paul points out that words are supposed to be meaningful to the hearer. Now have a look at verse 6. Now brothers, if I come to you and I speak in other languages, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Um, now, sometimes we might actually enjoy listening to people speaking in languages that we can't understand. Have you ever experienced that? I was in Paris last year. I heard lots of people speaking French. I didn't have a clue what they were saying, but I could listen to them all day. It's just beautiful to listen to. There are some people who think that hearing the things of God spoken in other languages is not only 
beautiful, but it's somehow actually more spiritual. That the person doing that's a bit closer to God, or that's how you get closer to God. Um, it was only in the 1960s that Catholic churches were allowed to use English instead of Latin uh, in, in the Mass. Now, I'm, I'm no fan of the Mass, as you can understand, but uh, imagine, imagine going along to church, uh, and we're, we're leading the church service here, and, and I'm reading from, from a you know, written-out church service, and I'm speaking to you entirely in Latin about the things of God. Imagine that. Well, it's no wonder that they reverted to English. <laughs> However, some people strongly objected to that and still strongly object to that because they insist that the Latin is more spiritual than English or Spanish or French or German or whatever other language that the people speak. And yet words must communicate meaningfully God's truth. That's the purpose of words. It's to communicate a message. And in this case, to communicate the message of God to the hearer. Paul uses the example of musical instruments. Um, verse 7. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? That is, if the sounds coming from lifeless objects are supposed to actually communicate some meaning so that the people who listen actually benefit from that, then so too, and indeed how much more, should the sounds that come out of our mouths communicate meaningfully? Um, in verse 9, Paul says, Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, that's the organ in your mouth this time, that's the correct, trans good translation of it, uh, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? Good question. And if I can't know the meaning of what someone is saying, then we're foreigners to each other. And you may have been in that situation once where you've been having, you've met up with someone and you don't speak their language, they don't speak your language. You don't know any other language that you can communicate with and you try talking but after a minute or two you kind of give up, don't you? <laughs> you're not actually closely connected like that, you're, you're foreigners to one another. Now the Corinthians were probably the least spiritual church in the New Testament uh, as we saw last week but that is not how some of them viewed themselves. Indeed, they may have even considered the person who was praying in another language that that person was somehow more spiritual because they're the person who's really, really getting into it and it's marvellous to watch them. 
But in verse 12, Paul corrects that, um, literally saying, since you are zealous for spiritual things, then how about being zealous to build up the church? Now, I am, as you are, often blessed um, when the, the person leading uh, us in prayer on Sunday has thought carefully about um, the things that the, the, the content of their prayer, as David has done for us today. Uh, David has thought carefully about um, the, what are the things that we as a congregation would want to be praying for, and he's thought carefully about the, the words to use in order to express that uh, so that uh, it connects with us, it resonates w- with us, and we can say a hearty amen. Um, that is, as David's leading us in prayer this morning, David himself was praying with his spirit, but his mind has also been fruitful because the content of the prayer makes sense and the content of the prayer is a blessing to all of us. And so it bears fruit for our edification. But if someone prays or sings or thanks God in a language that others do not understand, then they do not produce fruit in the lives of others. In verse 17, Paul says, You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. This is not the sort of love that Paul's been talking about in chapter 13. This is not the the other person-centred love, which means that we do what we do, we do for the sake of the well-being of others. And worse than that, what if a non-Christian turns up in church? Um, verse 21. This is a tricky passage, this, this section. But in verse 21, Paul says, In the law it is written, quote, Through men of strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me. End of quote, um, says the Lord. Uh, Other languages, uh, says Paul, then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in other languages, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Now, Paul here is quoted from Isaiah chapter 28, where uh, in context, God had pronounced judgment on Israel and that judgment would take the form of the Assyrian invasion. Uh, The Assyrian army would come from the north and uh, they would take over the land and guess what, you're going to hear uh, languages being spoken that you've got no idea what they're talking about. You're going to hear foreign languages in Israel. And that was God's judgment. It was God's judgment because Israel had refused to listen to God and obey God. And so here Paul actually says in that context, languages uh, were connected with judgment. 
uh, and, and uh, be, being not able to understand these people was connected with judgment, the, the judgment of God. So if in the Corinthian church, in their meetings, that they are caught up uh, speaking in their own individual local languages, then the, the message of, of salvation is obscured. Um, the salvation is denied uh, to the non-Christian who walks in off the street. He or she can walk into church and think everyone's crazy and they walk out and they're still under God's judgment because they haven't been able to understand the message. Whereas if the congregation, if people are actually prophesying using the common language to speak words of, back in verse 3, strengthening encouragement and, and comfort in the Lord Jesus, then the language is understandable. So that in verse 24, Paul says, the unbeliever will be convinced that he is a sinner under judgment and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so that he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming that God is among you. And so, um, why should um, uh, the... Um, and, and that is in... Uh, that, that's because, friends, the work of the Holy Spirit is actually to convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit is working when the non-Christian hears the, the, the words of God in intelligible language and is convicted by the Spirit, and his heart is then laid bare. So the question then is, why should the Corinthians stop speaking in other languages in church unless it's interpreted? Well, there's two reasons. Number one, firstly, so that the Christians, the other Christians in church will be built up. And secondly, so that the non-Christian who walks in off the street has got a chance of being saved and not remaining under the judgment of God. Now, I am very mindful that uh, this is not what most Christians consider other languages or tongues to be. Um, many Christians believe that tongues are a spiritual ability, a supernatural ability, to speak in the language of angels. And which typically sounds uh, like a, a string of unknown single-syllable words uh, which only the angels and only God uh, understands uh, unless it's interpreted. And it's, it's usually referred to as ecstatic utterances. That's what most people think that uh, speaking in tongues is. But when Paul speaks about the language of angels, um, back in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, in context, he's using hypothetical exaggeration uh, to make his point about love. Uh, you might remember that. He says that, uh, you know, if I um, speak to you in the languages of, of men and of angels, but I have no love... 
Uh, if I you know, have the gift of prophecy and if I can fathom all wisdom and all knowledge, if I've got the faith that can move mountains and I have not love, then what am I? I'm nothing. I'm a clanging gong, a symbol. So he's using the, the, the he's talking about the language of angels uh, as hypothetical exaggeration to make his point about love. Uh, my view is that um, the ecstatic utterances uh, is a practice which has been read into 1 Corinthians 14 rather than coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And that the, the multilingual um, complexion of the congregation uh, makes better sense of the passage and indeed of the Christian life. But that is a minority viewpoint. And so I would encourage you to make up your own mind on that. Um, but to, in doing so, to do so by looking at the whole of chapters 1 through to 14 uh, in terms of the, um, the key issues that Paul is trying to teach the Corinthian church. Nevertheless, um, whichever view you take, the principle of love is very clear. Now, we are not an especially multilingual congregation. I know some of you speak um, more than one language, some speak more than two languages, which is fantastic. Um, but this does apply to us, because what it teaches us is that we need to be people uh, who are thoughtful in how we communicate uh, in church. And we need to uh, consider, uh, are we speaking and are we doing things which... Uh, which, which actually hinder others from hearing God's word with clarity. Um, are we being unhelpful or are we being helpful? It's one of the reasons why we use a modern English um, translation of the Bible. Um, it's one of the reasons why when we use hymns, we try to use modern English uh, hymns and so on. Um, we need to be clear... Uh, in speaking, in a, using words that actually communicate effectively uh, to the minds of others. And it also affects how we relate. For this is not some sort of an individualistic spiritual experience that we're having here when we're in church together. Uh, you know, it's not just me and God. Uh, we're in this together in order to build one another up. And so we need to think carefully about those things. That Sunday, um, when I spoke to the West Timorese lady out in the courtyard, and she told me about how she'd just wept because she'd read verses from Isaiah in a heart language for the first time in her life. I, I kid you not, my very next conversation about a minute later was with a, visit, a lady visiting for the Sunday who was serving as a missionary in Africa. She was just in holidays. I was just visiting some family in Port Macquarie. She was a missionary serving in Africa. And I asked her, well, what do you do? What's, what's your mission? And she says, well, 
the Africans in the region where we, we work, um, they all speak their own tribal languages, but together um, they all commonly speak French. So French is what you speak at work and in the marketplace and even in the churches. They all speak in French. But she says, at home, they speak the language of their heart. They speak then their tribal language. And so she said, well, my husband and I, we're translating the Bible into their language. And she said, it's a bit daunting because we're going to be at this for a huge chunk of our lives and we're just starting. Um, it's going to be a decade or two before we're going to even see any fruit from our labours of African people being able to read the Bible in their own language. So it's a bit, a bit daunting. I said, well, let me encourage you. Let me introduce you to someone. <laughs> Let me introduce you to someone. And she said to me afterwards, she said, that was the conversation I needed to have. That's the gift of tongues, friends. That's the gift of language. It's communicating God's truth to people in words that they can understand. Let's pray. Father, we uh, pray for ourselves and we're so thankful that we have the word of God in English. Um, that we can uh, read it for ourselves and get to know you and uh, get to respond to Jesus. Uh, Father, we pray that um, in our church that we would be mindful of um, how we communicate and how we relate to one another, that we wouldn't be people who are just thinking individualistically about our own experience, but rather that we would be thinking of the person sitting next to us and the, others in the congregation. Help us in all that we do, all we say, do it for the edification of the body as a whole. In Jesus' name, amen.